The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Because everybody says, oh, you guys talk Jets, 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 Jets. Oh, you just talk about the Jets. So we're going to talk some Giants today. For that, we're going to turn to a good friend. I haven't had a chance to speak to this man in a long time. Does a phenomenal job. Been on the beat for, well, he's a young guy, so I'll say a couple of years. Uh, Art Stapleton, uh, NFL beat writer for the Giants. For uh, at, You can follow him on Twitter. He's got a bunch of accounts, Okay. You can follow him at The Record Sports, at North Jersey, at USA Today. He's also host of All In with Art Stapleton. And you can just follow him at Art underscore Stapleton. He does a phenomenal job with the Giants, and we welcome him on right now. Art, Larry Hardesty in New York. How are you, my friend? What's up, Larry? It's been too long, but uh, I appreciate the intro. And uh, thank you for calling me young, but I don't, I don't qualify as young anymore. <laughs> You're young at heart, Art. That's the bottom line. There you go. There you go. All right, give me your thoughts now. Obviously, a lot of lot of speculation, a lot of conversation about the contract with with Daniel Jones and the new the new administration coming in. Brian Dable doing a phenomenal job earning that Coach of the Year in the NFL. Uh, Joe Shane in the front office. Just in hindsight, give me your thoughts about how we got to this situation with Daniel Jones and the contract, and now the work really begins for him to have to prove this contract was that their show of faith in him. Yeah, I mean, Jones obviously has to, you know, what's that old saying? And you don't want to prove the doubters. You want to prove the believers, right? You you want to prove the people who believed in you that they were right, not that people were wrong about you. Um, but look, Larry, let's go back a year ago. I mean, the Giants hired Brian Dable. I mean, one of the reasons why Brian Dable, one of the biggest reasons that he's the head coach of the Giants before everything that transpired this season was he was supposed to get the most out of Daniel Jones. And a year later, if Brian Dable and Joe Shane sit with ownership and say, this is a guy we think we could win with, we need to commit to him. You know, now you're questioning those guys' opinions. Well, okay, I understand you. You, you have every right to challenge their opinion, but you almost have to take a step back if you're the Giants and say, this is why we brought these guys in here. You put your trust in them. And I think the deal for Daniel Jones is is for the unseen. It's not what they've seen before. They're projecting, and they believe that in a year and two years, Daniel Jones will potentially be a top-10 quarterback in the NFL. And this deal will actually put him – in really middle ground when all these contracts, the Burroughs and the Herberts and all these guys start getting their contracts, this contract at $40 million a year will not be what it appears to be right now. So projection, not necessarily what you've done so far, but I think they put the trust in, in Brian Dable that he believes he can win a Super Bowl with this quarterback. Now, Art, I think the other part of it is we are creatures of habit in looking at Creatures of the moment and looking at salaries. How is Daniel Jones getting that? What is Patrick Mahomes getting? How, how is he only getting that compared to other quarterbacks where we forget that every time a quarterback signs, the, the market is, is, is adjusted? And so you're right. Next year, he could be, he could be underpaid <laughs> in theory with one of some of the, what, what the quarterbacks are going to make. We don't know what uh, you know, Hurts is going to make. We don't know what Lamar Jackson is going to make. So he might end up being a bargain. Yeah, and and that and that's just it. You know, it, it's funny because we always we're always caught in the middle, Larry. Right? We want to talk about what guys should make, what guys shouldn't make. We all know that it's very hard in in our everyday lives to look at millionaires and say, you know, you shouldn't be making this. I mean, it's part of our jobs, but we're never going to be able to 
justify in our minds that you know someone is being paid forty million dollars a year to play a game i mean that's the reality of it we all know it's a business but when push comes to shove the average person can't really it doesn't correlate you know it's just like we don't judge you know what taylor swift is making at her concerts you know what bruce springsteen wants to charge for tickets i mean you know it, it's whatever money they make we're not going for their money and say you shouldn't be charging that to be able to go sing for two hours you know that it's ultimately in sports when we look back we say oh you haven't earned this contract yet but the reality is that in the case of daniel jones he now has to go out and earn this contract, and I think that's what the Giants are paying for. They believe that in two years he will have earned uh, the going rate for a quality quarterback in the NFL, and really they had no other choice, Larry. They really didn't. They they backed themselves into a corner, rightfully so, by not picking up his fifth-year option, and Jones made good on it, and now they had to pay, and now they move forward with him as their quarterback. A tougher decision is Saquon Barkley in the sense that we don't look at running backs the way we look at quarter, quarterbacks, Art. And so the thought process of, well, we can always draft a running back who's better or who's quicker or who's younger. And you add to the fact of, of some of the availability issues that Saquon's had over the years, not all his fault, but just the fact. It, 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 it's kind of hard to see how the Giants, you know, with their decision on Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – Saquon wants to be paid as the best player on the team and one of the best players in the NFL, one of the best playmakers in the NFL. And uh, I can understand where he's coming from to a point, especially coming off of last season. Uh, but when you look at the running back market, it's cratered, Larry. I mean, if you look at, at around what's happened the last week or so and these prices that running backs are coming in at, it's nowhere near the $16 million a year that, that Christian McCaffrey ended up signing to kind of reset the market a couple of years ago. Um, so they're in a very interesting situation. You know, if this was more of a cutthroat situation, you could see the Giants almost pulling the franchise tag from Saquon Barkley and saying, okay, go out to the market and get a better offer than the one we've offered you, which I believe I've been told is close to $13 million a year, whether that's for a three-year deal or something to that effect. Uh, and now they're paying him 10.1 on the franchise tag. So I, I don't believe the Giants will pull their offer. I think they respect Barkley too much to do that. Uh, but you could certainly make the case that he's in a situation where, you know, you're you're looking at, you know, I'm thinking in, you know, just in if you're on you're on the soccer field and you've got the goalie and and the striker and you've got your midfielder who's kind of a glue guy, he's your best player, but he's not the big money guy. Are you really going to pour all your assets into that one player? Uh, and I don't think they're going to do that uh, with Saquon. So uh, I think when push comes to shove. Saquon will end up signing a longer-term deal here because I, I think it's his best option. You don't want to risk hitting a market that is a down market, and then you're left sitting there saying, what did I do? I cost myself millions of dollars, uh, whether that's $5 million, $10 million, or what have you. So uh, I think ultimately the Giants and Saquon will come to a long-term deal, uh, but certainly not at the $16 million a year that Christian McCaffrey ended up getting to set this market. Art Stapleton is my guest. We're talking Giants football here on 98.7 ESPN. Art, I got to tell you, um, Waller at tight end is a major upgrade. The biggest concern is can he stay healthy? If he can, if he can give you 12, 13, 14 games, Art, 
it's going to make Daniel Jones' job a lot easier. <laughs> Completely agree with you. Completely agree with you, and health obviously is the issue. I mean, look, health is going to be the issue when you have a top three talent at the position hits a market or is available via trade. I mean, that's just the reality of it, right, Larry? I mean, you, 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 if he didn't have health issues, the Raiders never would have looked to push him out the door mm-hmm. and send him out of town. I mean, they would have kept him. He's that good when he's on the field. Now, one thing was a little encouraging uh, talking to Waller on his Zoom call once the trade became official is that he thinks that maybe he his training in the offseason, he pushed too hard and kind of peaked too soon. So once he got into the season, uh, he had those soft tissue injuries, and and that was a problem. So he he acknowledges the fact that both he and the Giants have to uh, address how he's preparing for the season, how he's getting ready to avoid some of these injuries that were uh, lingering last year. But there's no question. I mean, I think the Giants looked at the wide receiver market, said we'd love to get a number one wide receiver, but – it just doesn't match the market and the available players. And they said, well, what if we redo our offense and, and add a an elite tight end that can be our pseudo number one target for Daniel Jones? And I think that's why they went and they took the chance uh, to get Darren Waller. And all they had to give up was the 100th pick in the draft, which is the third rounder that they got as part of the package for Kadarius Toney. So uh, I think they – they look at it as a, a worthwhile investment, something to take a chance on, but I do believe that all parties, both player and team, are aware that they have to solve the injury issues uh, to make sure that Waller is available for this season uh, and for this team. All right, let's talk about the wide receiver situation because last year it, it, the guys actually got better as the season went on, right? Uh, you found some guys. Uh, Wendell Robinson, I thought, was going to be a guy that was that was going to make an impact. Unfortunately, he got hurt. Uh, Isaiah Hodgkins is a guy that came on late. Uh, Sterling Shepard has been one of my favorites. He's another guy that's had the injury situation. Uh, Darius Slayton has been a guy that's, that's flashed. You know, a couple of he, – he's been real good one season, then he'll disappear for a couple of games and come back and flash. Giants have made some upgrades to that wide receiver position. How, how does that position look right now going into minicamp in the, well, about a month a month or two? Yeah, I think it's still in flux, Larry. I think it's still fluid. Uh, I think you mentioned, obviously, Wondell Robinson and Sterling Shepard both had ACLs. Uh, Wondell had, actually had his surgery in early December, so uh, he's a candidate that might not be ready to start the season. And Sterling, considering he's coming back, uh, he went from a torn Achilles the year before to a torn ACL. I got to imagine that they slow him down a little bit uh, in the summer and try to make sure that he's ready when he gets out there on the field. Not that he wasn't ready the last time, but I think there may have been some residuals uh, from all the training that he did to get back from that Achilles. Uh, they needed speed. The Giants looked at their offense last year, and they realized that they were just too slow in certain areas, and they couldn't compete when teams pressed them they could not go vertical and beat teams down the field and make them pay. And I think they went out, and again, another injury uh, question, but the player himself I think has good potential is Paris Campbell, who they signed uh, from Indianapolis. He's got legit speed. I think it was 4-3-1 in the 40. I mean, he's a guy who has experience with their wide receivers coach, Mike Grow, when they were together in Indianapolis. I think Campbell will help them. I think bringing back Slayton at a a relatively team-friendly deal 
uh, that they got Slayton for, which was a little bit of a surprise uh, to get him back. Uh, I think they're still mixing and matching. Is there a number one out there for the Giants as a wide receiver? I don't think they're looking to pay those prices. They don't want to pay wide receiver one prices for for guys who are wide receiver two and beneath. So do they take a chance on a guy in the draft that there's somebody they like at 25 overall? I think they will. Uh, but I think it's still a work in progress, Larry. I think that's why Waller is here. I think you might see more two tight end sets with Waller and Daniel Bellinger, who they like, a rookie fourth-rounder from last year. Uh, and I think they'll move forward. But will they be better? Uh, I think they, they are certainly making efforts toward that. Uh, just a matter of these guys stay healthy uh, and they can actually produce on the field. A couple more for you, Art. What, what, what do you think happens to Lennon Williams? Does he get renegotiated? Is he cut? What, what do you think is the situation with him as we look at the defense a little bit? You know, when we talked to Joe Shane, general manager at the Combine in Indianapolis back uh, first week of, of March, you know, it does not sound like they want to release Leonard Williams. They do not want to say, you know, we're good. Go ahead, Leonard, because Leonard's still a quality player. He's just approaching 30. And even though his cap number is extremely high this year, uh, I think their preference would be to uh, talk to Leonard about a restructure or an extension to be able to lower that cap to get some cap uh, relief this year. Uh, kind of push some money down the road for Leonard uh, and keep him and Dexter Lawrence together up front and then complement them with players uh, rather than letting Leonard go. And now if you let Leonard go to a defensive line that already needed help, now you're really scrambling. So I think what happens, Larry, is that they, they sit down and come to some agreement where Leonard doesn't lose money but they're able to restructure his deal to the point where they can get some cap relief, uh, add more pieces to this team, and he sticks around at least for another year to see where they can be up front. Uh, you know, you're going to have to pay Dexter Lawrence, and it's going to be big money for Dexter. Uh, but I don't think those two – I don't think one will get in the way of the other because Dexter is obviously much more of a long-term piece uh, than Leo is. So, uh, you know, look, they, they could surprise us one day and just, just decide to release Leonard Williams, but I don't think that's the smart way to go. And talking to Joe Shane, it did not sound like that was his top option uh, going into this season. They realize they need some help in this run defense especially, uh, and letting Leonard Williams go does not help them. It almost negates some of the moves that they're looking to make to get better. Last one, Art. Uh Second week of the free agency pops up beginning tomorrow. What, what do you see? What else are the Giants looking for? Try to solidify the this big team. one tomorrow is along that run defensive uh, situation, trying to get better. Ashawn Robinson's a big, big boy, three hundred pounder. Was very good with with the Rams in their Super Bowl run a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember him from Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, he started out at the, in the Detroit Lions organization as their first round draft pick. Uh, he's coming in for a visit in East Rutherford, and he had a torn meniscus the end of last season, kind of cost him the final six, seven weeks of the year. If they could get him to pass his physical and he's willing to work a deal where they can bring him in, I think that's a huge piece to this team. They already brought in uh, Nacho, and I'm not going to try to say his name. It's Rakim, Rakim uh 
no chess. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I forgot his name, but they brought in another defensive tackle. He wants to be called Nacho. Uh, and I think between Nacho and if they could bring in Ashawn Robinson, they will definitely be up better up front against the run. Uh, I think maybe they look at, at some corners, some veteran corners. Marcus Peters is somebody who has – uh, you know, has reached the age of 30, so that becomes now you know you're an old man as far as the NFL is concerned. He has experience with Wink Martindale. If he's still on the market, maybe they look at him as a you know a one one year deal to bring him in at corner, uh, and then they just continue to move on. Center is another issue that they have to decide if they're bringing back John Feliciano for another year. Uh, or if they're going to look for another option, maybe both uh, Feliciano and somebody in the draft. But uh, it's it's been an interesting first week. And, Larry, you know New York. We're never mm-hmm. going to stop talking about Odell Beckham Jr. So no. <laughs> if either the Giants or the Jets, as long as Odell is still a free agent, there's always that chance that he ends up on one of the teams here in New York. And, and then it's all bets are off as far as what people want to talk about. Uh, it's It's Odell all the time. Well, that was one of the topics in one of your recent articles I read, Art, about the possibility if you listed some free agents who the Giants might be interested in. His name was on the list. Not at the top, but it was on the list. It was on the list. So By the was, way, that's It was. You never know. It's all about price. It's all about price, Larry. That's true. Uh, Rakeem Nunez Roches. How about that? Is that close? Thank you very much. Thank that's you. Close. I appreciate it. I, I flaked on it. And plus, he says <laughs> no he wants problem. to be called Nacho. So. And I understand why. <laughs> it would make everybody's exactly. job easier, right? <laughs> exactly. All right, thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right, have a great day, right? You too. Thank you. That's Art Stapleton. Does a tremendous job in uh, covering the New York Giants for, you know, NorthJersey.com, at the Bergen Record, USA Today. And, of course, you can check him out on his uh, podcast that he does a tremendous job about the Giants. All in with Art Stapleton. We'll take uh, some more of your calls, and we'll come back next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Is in the Big Apple. Judah, you're next on 98.7. Hello? Hello? Yeah, what's up? I wanted to talk about the Bears' agency. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, well, basically, uh, our running back took a big hit with David. He's been here since the rookie season. We got Dante. Got Dante Foreman. And our running backs, no, and our linebackers were doing pretty good. So we got Tremaine Edmonds, whatever. But I, I want to ask you a question. What do you think? Do you think the Bears can make the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers leaving their division? Well, I'll tell you this, Judah. Thanks for the phone call. <laughs> yeah, it's going to help because <laughs> he's kind of owned you guys. But you need some more things. I mean, you know, you you need some more work. You need some work on the offensive line. You need some work on the defensive line. You need some more work uh, with your receivers. I mean, when you think about it offensively, listen, Justin Fields was tremendous last year in the sense of he was able to do a lot with very little. He did not have a lot of offensive weapons. It was based on him running and and trying to get the best he could on the ground and doing some things. And I'm not really sure that he had the best offensive uh, game plan week to week either. So uh, it should be he should be better this year. He's a year more experienced, and he needs some more weapons. But the main thing they have to do, they got to do some work on that offensive line because he's got to be protected a little bit better. A lot of the fe- reason why he ran, yes, there were some on-schedule runs, but a lot of the reason why he ran was the offensive line was so bad. He had to run just to get away to, to keep from losing yards. So hopefully they will make some some changes. But for me, the biggest thing they have to do 
is get some is address the needs on both sides of the football in the trenches, and that will help them get to the postseason. No question about it. 1-800-919-3776. We'll take your phone calls uh, when we return. But first, this hooped up. This hoop update brought to you by Jack Daniels and Coca-Cola. Jack Daniels and Coca-Cola is here. They're born for what's next. Born for a bolder taste. Jack Daniels and Coca-Cola, born for this. Enjoy responsibly. Well, we got a good one going on out in the East. It's number six, Kentucky, against number three, Kansas State. Kentucky with a 41-39 lead. They, uh, Kansas State had jumped out to a big lead, but uh, Kentucky is bouncing back, so they now lead by two. Michigan State and Marquette is next. They tip off a little after 5-15. Earlier today, number 11 Pitt loses to number three Xavier, 84-73. When we return, Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer and I look at the NBA East. Where will the Knicks fall? Where will the Nets fall? What's going to happen with Philly? And who's going to be in this play-in? We'll get those thoughts next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. A Eastern Conference. Who's going to go where? How does it look? What's it going to line up? Who's going to be in this plan, which is fascinating to me? For that, we turn to a good friend, one of Spike's favorite reporters. I did not know that. He is Rod Boone, covers the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. Rod, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Larry? I'm doing great, Rod. First of all, my first question is, uh, what the heck happened in Charlotte this year? Oh, man, Larry. <laughs> Where do we begin? Do you have enough time? <laughs> you probably took your entire show to be able to break it down to your audience, man. I mean, it's been really crazy. Um, going back to Miles Bridges, obviously, what happened to him, it kind of mm. threw everything off, um, honestly. And it seems like ever since then, um, when you factor in, the season to have Fisky full of injuries. They're top five in terms of games missed via injury this year. It's been just a horrible year. And then even the last little bit of good enough hope they get when they're playing well, have a um, you know winning streak. The top player, all-star point guard, Melo Ball, gets hurt, practice his ankle, just crossing over somebody, and it's been that kind of year for the Hornets. So it's been really crazy, Larry, for the last year or so. For these guys, they're looking forward to the season ending and kind of getting on to the next season as fast as possible. Yeah, you know, you looked at this this team, as you mentioned, Rod, in, in the COVID-2020 season, and you looked at them thinking that this is a team that's on the rise. They're going to start to make some noise in the Eastern Conference to at least be among the top six or seven teams at, 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 at the worst. And now you look at them and, you know, this was – this. I mean, 22 and 50 is, is a rough year. It's rough. It is. It is. And what's crazy, Larry, is, um, you know, last year around January – they were kind of neck and neck with Boston, um, believe it or not, in terms of where they were in the East. Uh, record-wise, they beat Celtics, I believe it was once or so. And then Boston kind of just found the extra gear, went on to that run to the finals, of course, and they're doing it again kind of this year. So the Hornets are, you know, we're kind of almost right there. So to see it kind of unravel the way it has in, you know, a calendar year plus has been kind of crazy. So can they want to be able to get this thing going in the right direction and maybe they can get a top three pick, which looks like they may at least get a top four right now maybe help turn things around sooner than later. All right, Rod, uh, you know this from, and I certainly do, from covering teams that are really bad. You get to see all the great teams that come in and beat your team. <laughs> or you get to travel. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> or you get to travel and see how bad your team is against the really good teams. So you've had a really good opportunity to look at, at the top six. So let's start there before we go into the playing. Uh, Rod, is anybody beating Milwaukee the way they're playing right now? You know what, Larry? 
and talk about, you know, who we see lately. And I know we have some time. We can see bias, but I just saw Philadelphia coming here and pound the, the to you know what on, on Friday night. And the thing about it is they still can play even better than that Philadelphia to me. Like they were playing well, but you can see it's like another gear they can kick. I mean, Joel Embiid is arguably right now the, the MVP leading candidate. He's not there. He's right there neck and neck with, um, with Jokic. So it's just one of those things where I think Philadelphia – can be a team because they won an eight-game winning streak. They won like nine of their last ten, and they just kind of seem to have found a little bit of rhythm with, um, you know, James Harden and then be that pick and roll game. So if anybody can beat them, obviously Boston is right there too. But I think right now, in terms of the hottest teams, definitely got to be Philadelphia in my mind. Rod, here I I would love to agree with you, but can I be honest with you? I don't trust James Harden in the yeah. postseason. I just don't trust them. I, I, I mean, right now they I do. That. They are dominant pick and roll. That pick and roll with him and Embiid, you are right. It is unbelievable. And if they can get Maxi to play like he played last night and continue to play, giving you that scoring off the bench, yeah, they're, they're going to give Milwaukee some headaches. But I, I, I just don't trust Harden in the postseason. Well, and that's the thing too. Is this to me is also a big year for Doc Rivers because yes. you know this is one of those years as a coach where you essentially are, are getting right in the cusp of trying to get to that next level. And if you can't, um, you know, get to that championship kind of level, maybe this team gets broken down a little bit after the offseason, and maybe you should try to retool it somehow, and maybe it wouldn't go a different direction. So, I think Philadelphia is one of the best teams this year. So I agree with you. I don't really trust them per se, but if you ask me like right now who I would give the nod to, it's only them because, again, they're one of the hottest teams. And as you know, Larry, playing your best ball uh, come mm-hmm. April, and obviously it's springtime is what you want to do. So right now they're kind of doing that. So we'll see how it goes for them moving on out. Right, help me figure out the Boston Celtics because when I look at them, I just they, – they don't consistently see – and we know their talent, right? And the fact that they were able to rebound and have the type of season they've had with the with – the, uh, situation with their head coaching at the beginning of the year, give you give them a lot of credit. But this is a team that's been hanging around this conference championship. This is a team that has, I mean, went to the finals last year against Golden State. They just can't seem to get, uh, you know, the two stars, Tatum and Brown, great in the same game at the same time. And for me, it, it, as strange as it is with them, as Marcus Smart goes, there goes that Boston team because he's like the heart and soul of that team, right? Well, Marcus Smart is definitely hard and solo team. And when he's not out there and when he's not feisty as he always is, they're not the same um, kind of collective group out there because, he, as, you, as you mentioned, he's kind of the engine that kind of helps them go. But I agree with you also in the Tatum and Jalen Brown thing, they got to figure a way to kind of make that work, especially at the end of games. Um, you know, sometimes if you notice, you know, Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe, he actually asked after the game in Utah when they lost last night, Boston did. He asked, um, you know, Jason Tatum, hey, like sometimes when you're not hot, uh, you're not really feeling it. Is it okay if maybe you guys go to Jalen Brown, somebody else at the end of the game, try to win the game for you guys if you're not feeling maybe your normal rhythm? And he was like, "Yeah, I'm all for winning. That's that's, that's what I want to do." So that's kind of the thing I think sometimes that team is figuring out. As you know, Larry, the last second game-winning shot, who's going to take it? And nine times out of ten, it's going to be obviously your star player. When your star player isn't hot to be able to trust somebody else to make that shot for you, and they aren't doing that right now. If you look at their record in overtime, they're 4-7 and seven in overtime games. That's not a good record mm-hmm. for a team in a championship because if you think about it, overtime is kind of like a pressure situation where you feel each possession is even more crucial than, than, than a regular 20-minute um, game. 
So if they can't get it done in the game, it's going to be a problem come playoff time. They got to figure it out ASAP. Yeah, there's no doubt about it because they are a very talented team. But, you know, you it wears on you, Rod, when you continue to go late into the postseason, even with a young team. You go late into the postseason year after year after year. Eventually, I just think that your legs wear out and it, 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 it compromises you. Eventually, it's going to be a situation where they're going to falter late and, and they will have not – I mean, they've given their their franchise and their fans, I mean, sustainable success. There's no question about that. But, you know, you haven't won that championship yet. And and that's something that, you know, you you don't start the season right where you where you end the season. <laughs> well, let's be honest, Larry. Boston Celtics are like the Yankees. You know, they, they measure themselves in championships, not like division titles. They don't care about winning, you know, the division title or the conference. They're trying to get to win NBA championships. So, to, to me – that's one thing with them, as you mentioned, is, you know, Joe Mazzu has done obviously a, a great job with them in terms of stepping in and figuring out where to kind of get this thing going in the right direction despite what, what they were going through with their head coach situation at the beginning of the season. But now it's like you wonder if it's a championship type of coach because right now the team isn't playing well. Again, you have another three weeks or so before the playoffs begin, kind of turning around, but you want to be playing your best ball right now. And in the last 10 games, you know, they're 5-5, five and five, and that's not a good record, obviously, uh, for a team trying to win a championship. Rod Boone covers the NBA and the Charlotte Hornets for the Charlotte Observer. He's my guest. We're talking about the NBA East on 98.7 ESPN. Rod, this Cleveland Cavaliers team is interesting to me, too. Um, and, of course, we've been kind of focused on them, obviously, with the Knicks because of Donovan Mitchell and the trade that wasn't and so on and so forth. But uh, they're pretty good, but I just – their, their front court – has been inconsistent, and I think that front court could could compromise them as we go into the playoffs if they're unable to come together. Well, I agree, and and the thing to me, the key for that team, in my mind, is Jared Allen. It seems like whenever he's playing at his, um, you know, incredible level in terms of getting double doubles and blocking shots and t- you know coming in the paint, making sure people um, don't just throw shots up, he's making sure that they think twice about going to the basket. When he's able to control things, that to me makes them just a different team. And again, as you mentioned, when you're watching bad basketball, whenever he comes <laughs> against the Hornets, he kills them inside. So I know obviously the Hornets don't have the type of player that obviously other teams do in terms of centers and whatnot, Larry. But I mean, Jared Allen, when he's playing at the level that he should be playing at, they're one of those teams that's going to be scary to me because, as you said, like if you if you throw. The old who could be a team that you can be worried about if you're one of the top teams in the East or anybody. Cleveland's right there because they're in the top four at this moment, right with the Knicks. I would put Cleveland and the Knicks as those teams that at any point could, could kind of scare you because they can get hot. They have really good scores, and you know they've been one of the best teams in the second half of the season. So when you look at those two, three things. It bodes well for, for Cleveland and the Knicks. But I agree with you, Larry. The front court to me is big for them because you know. Don Mitchell can go out there and get his. You know, you can go out there and get 40 easily and, and get hot really quick. So it's going to be about how the front court can can get it going for the Cleveland Cavaliers because they're going to play against big guys like maybe Joel Embiid, Giannis, et cetera, um, going forward. Yeah, especially because defensively, I have a, they're really good. But see, the offense where you have to – when you're matching up against an Embiid, so you're not going to stop him. So you really you need that balanced scoring from the front where you kind of neutralize or close to neutralize what he's able to do. Same thing with Giannis. When you play the guys in the front court, you got to neutralize it on the offensive end. And I don't know that they can give you that consistency there. 
I agree. And that's why with the you know, the Knicks we talk about different teams uh, who may be able to scare you, you know, that's why you wanna see Julius Randle do what he's doing. You wanna see him go out there and be able to do that same kind of thing in the playoffs because as you mentioned, the front court guy, even in the postseason it's kind of going to be use your keys because the backcourt is going to do what they do. They can go out there and score, break down defense, but usually your frontcourt players, um, whether they be able to kind of go out there and say you can match each other or be able to kind of bring the other big men out of the paint to get something else going for the other team, it's just different things can happen with, with the, with the forward and it's the frontcourt. So I agree with you there, Larry. It's going to be a big situation for the Knicks and Cleveland and see if they can kind of get their things going in the playoffs. Now your team came in here and beat the Knicks before they went on the road. So, uh, what did you see from the, what do you see from this Knicks team? I mean, I think the Knicks just uh, like anything else, they just got to be healthy right now. Jalen Brunson, you know, he's kind of been one of those players kind of coming there, been a little breath of fresh air. He's not as in New York uh, last type of kind of coming there as a free agent and play um, exceptionally well right away and have the fans kind of gravitate towards you, especially when it's on a big contract like he did. But it's going to be about health for those guys if they can just. Um, be healthy, um, that's going to be, the, the, to me, the main thing for them because you can see the energy there, the intensity. You can see they kind of have a little bit of, of, a, of a, a camaraderie there where they play for each other. And come playoff time, that's usually big because the teams that fit together, it can maybe get past the ball and trust one another when maybe things aren't going well for you. So you give the ball to your, to your fellow teammate and let him make a play that maybe he might not otherwise normally make in a regular season. Those kind of things kind of help you out postseason wise. So to me, for the Knicks, it's going to be about that: the camaraderie continuing going and their health. If they can get Brunson to kind of be, um, you know, uh, what he's been when he's been out there healthy, they should be okay. Couple more for you, Rod. Uh, are you as surprised as I am about how well this Nets team has played, considering the trades they had to make under the situation they had to make these trades in Durant and and Kyrie Irving? And, you know, as we speak right now, they're, they're losing against uh, Denver. But at 39 and 31 in the sixth spot, right, even though they've split their last 10 games, they're, they're playing better than a lot of people thought. I, absolutely, Larry. you got to give them credit. And, and what that boils down to, that means you have a good coach in Jacques Vaughn. You know, Jacques, we know, was in Orlando. Um, and, and sometimes as a coach, you don't really get a second chance maybe the way you like to. But for him to kind of – what he went through and, and be there and, and being Steve Nash and kind of be given an interim title and then actually get the head coaching job, that tells you right there that he's a really good coach, not just somebody who's just a figurehead and, and somebody who's going to try out there to be, be a person to almost babysit until they find somebody better. It's Jock Vaughn to me. So the biggest thing now, as you mentioned last time, is with talent, though, is when teams start scouting a little bit and kind of figuring out what you can do out there, if you can't find a way to kind of counteract that talent-wise and execution-wise, you're going to falter a little bit. But you're right. The, the Nets are in sixth place right now. And they're really, um, at the moment, four games ahead of the eighth spot with Atlanta. So when you have, you know, a handful of games left, um, essentially, you know, you're down to the Nets. They have, I think, about 11 games after tonight left. And you're four games ahead. If you don't collapse, that means you're going to be at least in the sixth or seventh spot at minimum. So you're right. They, they've been doing well. Now it's about can they continue it and make sure they don't falter because although they have a good spot, you know, um, things can happen, as we know, sometimes with injuries and whatnot. So otherwise, they should be okay. No doubt about that. Last one, Rod. You got Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, and Chicago, 7, 8, 9, 10 right now. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't trust Miami. <laughs> I know they, they, they're compromised offensively. 
You know, I know that a lot of their guys have not had the offensive years that they've had, but I, I love their defense. I'm just really I'm, – I'm just wondering what is going to happen with Atlanta. All the turmoil with coaching, you know, McMillan out, Snyder in. Uh, Trey Young's become, you know, a guy that people are like, he's he's getting the name – reputation as a coach killer. How do you see these, these four? Do you think these guys will stay in there, or, or do you think Indiana gets a chance to sneak in and take one of the last two spots between Toronto and Chicago? I mean, I think Indiana is struggling, Larry. I mean, they, they turned around slightly. You know, they were really, really going in a tough direction uh, recently. You know, so they're, they're kind of um, a game and a half um, behind the Bulls right now and, and who they play <laughs> coming up. But the Charlotte Hornets tomorrow here in Charlotte. Um, so that would be a big game for them. If they don't win that game and that two games and change behind, they could be curtains for them, um, barring something crazy happening with the Bulls not doing something. So I, it, it's it's – I'm, I don't. I don't trust the Pacers, honestly. Larry. I don't think they're they're a good enough team. Um, and the Bulls uh, have a little more to play for. And the Raptors, to me, one of those teams that they something's weird about them. Like the talent is there, but they haven't played up to the capability all season. But those, that's a team I wouldn't want to face at all, at all mm-hmm. in the first round because you know with Fred Van Vliet and, and Pascal Siakam and, and guys like that, they have championship kind of pedigree. They know how you know to play. In the postseason, they've been there before. So I think, if anything, the Raptors could be a team that can maybe jump over, um, you know, to possibly maybe as high as seven, depending on what happens with Miami. Because, um, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't see the Hawks holding on. They're not really all together in my mind. They have changed with the new coach and everything coming in there. Um, I think Toronto, to me, is a team that you should, you should watch out for because they probably have more of a pedigree than anybody else. It's at the bottom of the Eastern Conference right about now. Rod, you know, I would hope that uh, I would wish for you that Charlotte would continue to lose all their games so they would get the number one pick. And there's a, a young man overseas who could turn your season around. But it doesn't work like it does in the NFL where we were watching the Jets try to get the number one pick. It's that ping pong thing. So uh, hopefully they'll give you a little more entertainment, Rod, over the last week of the season. And we'll talk down the road, my friend. <laughs> hey, you got it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure. That's Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer, breaking down the NBA East. When we return, we'll take more of your phone calls. We have Rich Samini talking Jets, Aaron Rodgers, and compensation and more. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 987 ESPN. Hey, the New York Islanders' 50th anniversary season continues with celebrations and giveaways all season long at the UBS Arena. And ESPN New York wants to make you a part of this historic season. Enter to win two free tickets. That's two free tickets to see the Islanders face off against the Buffalo Sabres at home on March 25th. Just download the ESPN New York app, scroll down to contest, and submit your entry. For full contest rules, go to ESPNNewYork.com. And be sure to visit NewYorkIslanders.com for team news, tickets, and more. And you can catch every Islanders game live on the Islanders stream Heard only on the ESPN New York app. Rich Samini will join us at the top of the hour. We'll get an update on what's going on with uh, Aaron Rodgers and the situation with the uh, New York Jets and compensation and what other moves are the Jets going to make. They've made a couple of moves. We'll get Rich's uh, thoughts about that. Uh, Just a couple of notes to follow up on my conversation with Rod Boone. He is correct about Toronto. Okay, they do have that, uh, that, that pedigree. They do have that championship pedigree. It's not that long ago that they won the championship with Kawhi Leonard. And they can be dangerous. Their length is a matchup nightmare. Okay, they have talented guys who in the front court who are long, athletic, uh, who can hit the three, 
who who can large wingspans who can defend they are a matchup nightmare to face in the first round of the postseason he is a thousand percent correct on that mitch is in east windsor mitch you're next on 98.7 espn how's it going Larry? i'm sorry I'm good mitch what's up how's everything good all right you gotta like that josh hart uh acquisition i mean the lakers gotta be kicking themselves He's a real good ball player. I he think is. he should be starting somehow. Really good player. That was a good pickup. And and Julius Randle, another ex-Laker, is really picking mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like there's a, a Villanova connection with the East here because um, Mikael Bridges is looking uh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. And you had Brunson and um, and Josh Hart. But uh, it's um, I wonder what you think. Uh, what do you think might represent the the, the West here? Um, Denver's looking good, and B. Oh, by the way, I think M B might just take that uh, MVP from Jokic. I agree with you. The way he's playing now, I agree. Yeah, the way tremendous. Uh, for a guy that started basketball late, he had a lot of injuries. Um, he's uh, been pretty healthy the last couple of years, so that's mm-hmm. looking good for for the Sixers. Uh, but you, besides Denver, you really got to look at the Kings and, and my Clippers. They're playing really well, especially the Clippers and the Kings. It's been mm-hmm. a nice surprise. Yeah, the Aaron Fox and uh, Sabonis, he's a triple double machine. Mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, Matt? Makes his new new blood. You think we might see some new blood in this, this year's finals? Yeah, you know, with, I know. I, know. I agree with you, Mitch. I agree. Thanks for the phone call. It's going to be interesting when you look out west. I have Sacramento. Mike Brown is coach of the year this year in the NBA. I mean, what he's done with that Sacramento team—they're tied for second with the Memphis Grizzlies. And give the Grizzlies credit with all the situations they've gone through with John Morant and all that that they've had to face and, and endure, that they're hanging in there, they're good. Phoenix, I, it's hard to read what they're going to be because I don't know when Durant's coming back. And, you know, you don't have a lot of time to, to chemistry-wise, to get him involved in your in your offense and everything. So it's, it, it's hard to read them. I would think that they you have to look at them as a possibility to come out of the West. Uh, Dallas is faltering with the with uh, Kyrie and um, Luca being in and out of the lineup, and very quietly, Golden State is putting a run together. Okay, and they are uh, right now in the seventh spot, so they're in the play-in. And before before this week, I thought the Lakers were making a big run. They've lost their last two. They've split uh, their last ten games, and now they've fallen back to. Uh, 11th again and I don't know if they have enough time to make another run without uh, LeBron in the lineup. Ritzamini is next. We'll talk Jet football on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.